Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to On The Continent, your one-stop shop for all things to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Carlidge. In this edition's World Cup qualifier conversation, it's that man Griezmann again for France. Will he do the same for club as for country now that he's back in Madrid? Uh, same question of Memphis Depay. After banging him in for the Netherlands in the internationals, Barcelona will be looking to him to do the same for them post-Messi. And looking ahead to one of the most tantalising fixtures of the weekend, it's the return of the Don of Bayern Munich uh, to his old haunts in Leipzig and there ain't enough room in town for the both of them, if you know what I mean. So before we start talking about the French national team and the fortunes of Antoine Griezmann, should we talk about the big punch-up Nice against Marseille, as it were? Yes, crime and punishment on the Côte d'Azur uh, for that game a couple of weeks ago. It's extraordinary scenes where you Is had... it actually a book by Leo Tolstoy? I'm sorry, <laughs> Fyodor Dostoevsky or not? <laughs> but maybe that's going to be the follow-up. Um, but it, it was um, an extraordinary scene in a match that a lot of people were looking forward to um, and it all broke down about the 74th minute when um, some Marseille players and some Nice fans got into it physically on the pitch after um, Dimitri Payet, of course, was hit by a bottle and threw him back. Um, Marseille had been the subject of well, Marseille players have been the subject of um, items thrown from the crowd, not just in that, but in the game against Montpellier um, a couple of weeks before that. Um, so anyway, the game was abandoned. Um, the Nice have been fined uh, one point for now. They've got another point suspended and they're going to have to replay the entire game, which they were leading 1-0 in. So their players must be fuming, actually, at what went on. Um in the stands and um, yeah, they've got to uh, replay it without fans um, on, on neutral ground, um, which is, I, I mean, Nice couldn't be allowed to get away with this. I mean, it was, it was dangerous what, what happened. And um, yeah, I, I know the French authorities were very keen not to start closing bits of stadiums or closing stadiums entirely again, especially when we've just come out of the pandemic and fans have just got back in after barely being near any French stadiums last season, but they were just left with no choice. So let's talk about France, the national team then. Um, David, they looked a far better team than Finland. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think given the manner of how they exited the Euros, I think it was mightily important that they put on a bit of a statement performance. Um, also, of course, there was no Kylian Mbappe there. Um, so I think it was really, really important that they showed that, you know, the the amount of talent that they have 
um, the quality that they have, that they can, they, sh- they showed that they can still, you know, it, they're still capable of putting on a performance. And they needed a big performance, really, didn't they, David? Yeah. Because, um, of course, previously in this international break, they drew Bosnia in Strasbourg. They um, went to Ukraine and, and and drew there. And after that, they've got five draws in a row, if you include the Switzerland game, obviously, yeah. that, that they ended up losing on penalties. And um, just the, the, the manner as well, it's just a sense of this team is is stuck, that it has no real shape, no real direction. And for the first time in a while, Didier Deschamps did something tactically that I, I felt worked. Um, going back to three at the back, which was like really just a disaster against Switzerland. It didn't work at all. And they wasted the first 45 minutes of that game. But this time, I think Lars might have pinpointed it before. Mm-hmm. They've brought in someone who was really suited to playing wing back in Teo Hernandez. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think he's fantastic, Garrett. And when he switched on, he's an absolutely remarkable player. Um, I think a lot of the time with Theo, um, he doesn't seem completely focused on football um, and he doesn't... Oh, if, he, if he just channels drive, determination into his game, because quality-wise, ability-wise, he has it all. He's incredible physically as well. He's, mm. he's, a, he's a big lad. Um, and for him to get up and down... Uh, the flank as he does, I think, with his size and his power, there's, there's not many players around. He, he reminds me a lot of when uh, when Gareth Bale was deployed at fullback uh, at Spurs. He actually mm. reminds me a lot of Bale. I think he's the closest to him in that term, in that incarnation of, of Bale as a fullback. That's right, because he's so much ability, but you get the impression his mind wanders a little he, bit he, sometimes. He's one of those players, I think, who doesn't fully care about football, and, and, which is completely fine. It doesn't have to be his be-all and end-all his, his entire life. You know, I don't think he's somebody who finishes a game and then goes home and watches another six games over the weekend. He, <laughs> you know, he's one of those people. And I think that's, you know, but if he did have that little bit of extra, then he could go extremely, extremely far. I mean, something's changed with him, I think, since he's been at Milan, though. Yeah. Um, because he's been a key player there. He's been given responsibility. And for the first time, he's not Luca's little brother. Yeah. I, I think that makes a, a massive yeah. difference. He, and, he, and now with him out, the fact that he's got into the full French national team, especially a night like this, when they need not just a result, Don, but performance. And they do it in front of a sold-out crowd in, in Lyon. Karim Benzema, of course, is going back to play at the Groupama Stadium for the, yeah. for, 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 for the first time, which is a big deal. They make a huge fuss over him. Um, you know, there's, there's real atmosphere and you know journalists in France were saying there was something different about the feel of this not just because the stadium's full up again but because the way that people belted out the anthem before the start is like come on let's not just cruise through this we've been cruising through things for far too long France we've we've got to go and get this and they did also though um, it did seem as if the crowd got what they wanted in terms of uh, just a spectacle, you know. The, yeah. the particularly there was a period where they were in and around the Finnish uh, penalty area, and Finland just couldn't get out of it. And France was playing such skillful football; it must have been a pleasure to watch. So, would that have got them over the um, the Euro failure blues, as it were? And it's a start. Looking forward to the World Cup now. It's a start, definitely. And um, I think, now, you know, they're in such a comfy position in the group now. I think you're right. I think the style is as important as the results because they look so disjointed throughout the Euros. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing, David, is like how, I mean, obviously, Antoine Griezmann was the the, the star in this game. He, mm-hmm. was, he, was, he was absolutely fantastic. Two goals for him. The connection with Benzema yeah. was fantastic. It really and was. It, it looked kind of easier for them with Mbappe out of the way. I know it's the exchange 20 passes between each other. It was the most between wow. any two players on the field that night. Um, and yeah, they, they looked to have a good little synergy going on. Um, and But the big thing is trying to fit Mbappe in there somehow. Um, and that's going to be the big task, I think. You know, um, If we're looking at France ahead of the World Cup, and things that they need to sort, I think, getting Mbappe, get a, a, a true role for Mbappe. I think we discussed this during the Euros mm. as well. It, it just felt like he was just, he was thrown in there. Oh, he's got all the talent, but there was no actual role carved out for him. But th- this is interesting because it's another way of looking at the conversation, as you say, that mm. people have been having about France for, for months. Yeah. Because you, you realise now that 
there's just not been enough of Griezmann in the penalty box. No. You know, and that is where he's absolutely vital. He's I mean, extremely he, intelligent. He's a really, really intelligent player outside the box and inside the box as well. But that's the thing, because he will just get on with stuff, because yeah. he's someone who's a real worker and always has been, ever since he was at Real Sociedad as a kid, that's why he connected with Simeone in, yeah. in, in, in such a big way. That basically, if he gets shoved out of the spotlight, he'll just get on with it. He'll yeah. still do a decent job for the team. Yeah. But is that where he's serving the team best? And the answer's, the answer's probably no. I mean, you look with these goals... 41 international goals now, which matches Michel Platini's thing. We've been talking so much recently about Olivier Giroud's going to get the all-time record, isn't he? I, d- I don't think he is. He's still five adrift of Henri. He wasn't picked mm. f- for this squad for sporting reasons, as Didier Deschamps put it, rather than anything else. It's Griezmann that's going to take him over, isn't it? It's quite incredible, though, for him to have the goal-scoring record that he does, um, considering where he plays and the rest of the work that he does for the team as well. Yeah. You know, a lot of the time he is quite far removed from goal. Um, and Platini was obviously closer to goal the more mm. often. So it's, it's interesting to see Griezmann do that. What puzzles me about Griezmann is that he does seem to, or he has seemed to have performed better for France than he was for Barcelona. Uh, I know he had all mm. sorts of issues at Barcelona. And I wonder whether now when he goes back to Atletico, they will give him whatever France has given him, David, in terms of uh, freedom to move around the place and do what he does best. I think he will. I think he's going to get that role back um, that he had at Letty that they never really replaced. They tried Jao Felix there for a little bit. He couldn't really do it, um, which I completely understood. Um, completely different type of player. Um, and now he can go back and, and slot into it. I think that role is still there for him. Um and I think this is going. To, I think it's a great move in his career. It was probably quite unexpected in a way. He probably felt that he was going to be at when he signed that Barcelona deal. He probably felt he was going to be there quite a while. Um, but I think this is really, really um, good timing for for both player and club in in regard to Atleti. Um, the hair's already come off as well. That horrible ponytail. I mean, <laughs> can I just say uh, we, talk, we, we talked about like the. How how unusual the whole situation is. I don't think I've seen because he, of course, he scored these two goals on the Tuesday. On Wednesday morning, he's back in Spain. He's back in Madrid, meeting the old teammates, get a big hug from yeah. Stefan Savic, and wouldn't we all like a big hug from Stefan Savic <laughs> in the car park? He trains with the ponytail on, and he gets the haircut in yeah. between the training session and the presentation. Did you see the state of Atleti's mentions though? So every single reply to Atleti's tweet, um, I think Griezmann tweeted, he was just saying, oh, hey guys, I'm here, I'm back. <laughs> and every single reply was a picture of a, a wild hair clipper. <laughs> I mean, every single one. I genuinely think he's doing that. But also, there might be actually a, a psychological thing behind this in that, you know, I think a lot of people who have been in bad relationships, what do they do when they get out of it? They maybe do something crazy with their hair or their style. I think maybe he's done that. He's got out of a bad relationship. <laughs> They do lose their uh, their grooming sponsorship, yeah. uh, so be careful about that, Antoine. <laughs> Flips it back oh. for the Frenchman. A oh. delicate oh. That one is going to count. A work of art for Griezmann. The Louvre is calling Barcelona. They want to hang that one, that one up in their fancy museum in Paris. Another player who is firing, uh, certainly in the international perspective, is um, Memphis Depay. And he's Barcelona's front man, and yet he perhaps hasn't been given the credit that he should be given. If you put him in the sort of perspective, if you put him in the perspective of the replacement to Messi, people almost laugh him out of the field. Whereas when you see him play for the Netherlands, you might get it, you know, against Turkey and against Montenegro. When you see him play those matches, you might start to get it why he is Barcelona's front man. He's firing, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Because he feels like it's worked out really well for him this because at the Netherlands, he's been the main man for quite some time. They, they don't have a, a raft of superstars and he has been probably the most gifted player that they have um, in, in an attacking sense. Um, and right now at Barcelona, he is the main man there as well. And he probably likes that responsibility. He, he likes having that, I think, on his shoulders. He's a little bit older now as well and he's matured um, slightly. And 
I compare him to Benzema in a little bit like this because people don't really take them seriously, players like Memphis and Benzema, because they look at how they behave off the pitch. And it's not bad, by the way. They, they're interested in their music, their fashion and, and, and what have you like that. So people think, oh, they you know, and like football doesn't matter to them. But you, you Fans you, want everyone to be Harry Kane. Basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's boring. It's the last thing I want players to be is Harry Kane. Um, <laughs> you know, and you look at Memphis and, and you look at Benzema and how they've matured as they've got older. They're a lot, lot older right now. They're not they're not kids now. You know, to, to, to hold... Um, Memphis accountable and, and still judging by that spell at Manchester United that he had when he left the, he left it. he's not the same player no he, he left no, but he, a lot of people look at him as if he's still that player yeah, don't they that's wild That's it's, it's such a silly thing to do and I think the way he's matured and he's, he's had and you'll know better than me how he's had uh, Leon on his on, on his back uh, you know the, for, for quite some time now and this just feels like a nice step for him I don't think it's a last chance saloon or anything like that I think it's just it's come about at the right time. I think he's ready for this. Uh, yeah, and I think, you know, I think we touched on it in the ramble earlier this this week. The fact that his level of confidence is such, whereas like a lot of people would say replacing Messi is the impossible task. And of course it is the impossible task. Mm-hmm. But he's someone who'll be, yeah, I can do that. You know, you know, he believes in himself so yeah. strongly. And that's exactly what you need. Did he have that belief when he was at Manchester United? I think he had that belief. I don't think he had the maturity or the tools to get through it or really the opportunity because, of course, he was coming into a post-Ferguson situation. I think if he turns up at United and he's coached by Sir Alex Ferguson, it's a different story for, for him at United. Yeah, yeah. But I think, funnily enough, the coach who's absolutely key in this, who's nowhere near the same level of star, is Bruno Genesio, now the coach of Ren, who was at uh, Lyon at the time, because when he arrives at uh, Lyon, he's a club record signing. It's a big deal because they're getting a player from Manchester United. And then for the big games, there's a bit of friction eventually between Genesio and Jean-Michel Olas, the president and the people on the board, because they've made a big song and dance about bringing in a, a media star. And he is a star, whether he's that level as a footballer yet is another question in 2017. But Genesio leaves him out of the big games because when they're playing um, uh, PSG, when they're playing Marseille, he's like, I cannot have him on the left wing because he doesn't do any defending. And, it works in two ways. Firstly, because Genesio brings him on later in those games. And if you look up Memphis, great goals for Leon, as I do on a daily basis, obviously. <laughs> um, one, of, one of those is when he comes on as sub against PSG and scores a brilliant goal to win the game in like the 92nd minute. And you can see that anger on him because he's like, oh, I've got bench for this and it sucks. <laughs> and he's, he's really full of piss and vinegar. But eventually, the the... the Olas, the president and the board are like, we, we bet the farm on this guy and you're leaving him out for the big games. Come on. And he's like, well, this is why I'm leaving him out. Eventually, they come to the solution of playing him at centre forward. And that is where he's best. Yep. He shouldn't be on the wing in the first place. Now, of course, he can drift he, into he, wide he, areas. He still drifts. He still drifts. Oh, yeah. And he's got the trickery to do it really well. But you can't give him defensive responsibility. If you make him your centre forward... I think, fortunately, we're coming out of this space in football now where we think to be a centre forward, you have to be like built like a nightclub bouncer or or play off someone who's built like a nightclub Mm. bouncer. And, you know, maybe it'd be interesting to see how he clicks with Luke de Jong at Barcelona. It'd be interesting to see how that works. But Memphis is best at centre forward. And he does have that maturity, not just to take that responsibility, but make the most of that responsibility. I think the best thing about these two games, and you were right to point out those two games, Dotton, in Amsterdam, against Montenegro and Turkey, altogether, five goals and an assist in those two games. I mean, that is absolutely fantastic stuff by, by any standards. Just standard. from Memphis to Pies. Just from yeah. Memphis. That, that, is, that is brilliant. And you, you look at that, and you look at the way that after the Montenegro game, which was already very good before the real high point of Turkey where he gets his hat-trick, and um, Louis van Gaal comes out and says... That was the perfect performance. 10 out of 10. He could not have played any better. Like if you're pleasing Van Hal to yeah, that extent, yeah. I mean, that's impressive. Yeah, Louis van Gaal is looking like the beneficiary of this as well. You know, given, you know, both of the player and the managers, Manchester United uh, connections. Is he any different from the coach that left 
Old Trafford? I don't think so. He's one of those guys who will never ever change. It doesn't. It I doesn't, don't want him to change. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say he is very much who he is, the character and his outlook and his training sessions will still be the same. You know, the way he speaks to players and operates with them one v one to one will stay the same as well. Nice. No, he's too long in the tooth, I think. And I have to say, the best Van Hal Memphis moment was that thing with the journalist yeah, what wasn't it where he's talking about um uh you, you know you're into chelsea and the, um, and um they're, they're more defensive football wasn't he and uh he, he, it, it's, it's brilliant the bit between the journalist asking the question and then van hal answering it and going uh you know you know zero about football etc cetera, etc cetera. The camera cuts away and looks at Memphis, takes a little swig from his drink, and he's like, Oh dear, you don't know what you've done here. <laughs> you've you've unleashed the beast with just this very knowing smile. Contenders though, the Netherlands, uh, in terms of the World Cup, are they? Contenders? Um I, I feel it's a bit soon to say that. Um in the same way that I feel it's a bit soon to say that Barcelona are contenders for La Liga, for example. Yeah. But to have someone to conduct the orchestra on the pitch is it's a, it's a great start. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Whether either of them, the Netherlands or Barcelona, have that depth of quality yeah. is something I have yeah, a, a yeah. doubt over. But in both of these cases, like Memphis has a coach who really appreciates mm. him and really gets him. And you never know who's gonna, how teams are going to turn up at the World Cup either. I mean, how many elite nations can you say they are right now that are untouchable who are going to be there I don't think there's many I think yeah, I mean, we talked about France yeah, yeah. they would have been that before the Euros yeah. but now it feels like there's a lot of work to do yeah. before November 2022 yeah. all, 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 the, all the big nations have got question marks over them Spain, Germany, England everybody, everyone's got something that they need to address before so in that regard yeah um, I'd say the Netherlands definitely stand a chance oh. and also I think the main thing for me is Frank de Boer isn't there anymore yeah, I, I think that, that that is that is big, um, but it it does feel that the, the atmosphere, the mood around the Netherlands has, has all changed with that change of coach. And yeah, they have got an issue in terms of going forward, in terms of coaches, because they're not producing coaches like they used to. The Dutch, and the fact that they're going back to the same old names, it, it is a concern. Yeah, in the short to medium term. He is a coach who can do a terrific job with them. And these players have needed guidance. I think if Ronald Koeman had still been in charge, the Euros would have been a totally different prospect for the Netherlands because they showed in moments in the groups that they could do interesting stuff. They didn't show anywhere like the the know-how or the fortitude when it came to the Czechs and particularly after the, the list sending off um, in the... In, in the in the last 16. I mean, De Ligt is quite an interesting one, actually, because there's a feeling now that Stefan de Frey, who is like a really good defender, there's yeah. no getting away from it, and a really polished Serie A defender, but not of the same natural ability as De Ligt. I don't think it's unreasonable to say that he's, that he's basically leapfrogged him now. So the thing is, I think as a international coach you've sort of got your hands tied to a certain degree because there's stuff that you can do most of it's quite simple stuff I think to structure your team and put it in the in, in, in the right direction you can't reinvent the wheel because you don't have enough time to do it what you can't also do is do the work with the players that they need to do at their clubs on a weekly basis now I tend to think De Ligt is a bit of an interesting one because he obviously had his choice of Barcelona and Juventus when he he, he left Ajax. Um, you know whether Barcelona could have financed that in retrospect. I mean, you know, it would have been another huge hole in their already drafty finances. Um, De Ligt, despite playing with Bonucci and Chiellini, has not made the leaps that I would expect him to do. In bits at Juventus, he's been very, very good. But it, it doesn't feel to me, David, like he's in a good place at the moment. And for, for him to get in the place that the Netherlands need him to get into, that's going to be down to Max Allegri. That's not going to be down to Louis van Gaal. Yeah, 100%. I think he's somebody, and, and don't get me wrong, he's still young, um, but 
yeah, I think now is the time where he does have to make that leap because because also there are really there are a lot of really good young defenders around right now, and they'll all come up, and he'll soon be forgotten about. Um, so he'll still always be in the picture for the Netherlands, of course. But I think if you look around Europe, there's so many good young centre backs coming through, coming around, and um, yeah, he's somebody I think now has a bit of pressure on. Him. And they're needing to be a leader, don't they? I mean, yeah. you know, you saw that even at the end of the Turkey game where Cengiz Unda scored the the most um, a pointless consolation goal of mm-hmm. all time, really, right at the end, where Netherlands are six nil up and they overplay at the back a bit, and Van Dijk trying to prevent it. Um, gets a whack on the ankle. Yeah. And of course, after what's happened to him over the last year plus, you have that little, oh God, I hope it's not serious sort of, sort, sort of business as, as he's like holding his leg and you're going, oh, it's not his knee, it's not his knee. Um, but it does just show, especially with how much they missed him during the Euros, they don't just need him as a defensive leader. The lift has to step up yeah. and take that mantle. Because he, he can lead as well. We saw it. I yeah. He was an incredible lead. Absolutely remarkable. Absolutely. You don't get the captaincy in your teens, um, you know, just by being an okay leader. Mm. Um, I just wonder. Then um, you bring up Van Dijk, and then you also bring up the incredible Juventus duo as well. But I wonder if he's a little bit intimidated by that. I wonder if he feels that he's still in the shadows about like, how how do I step out when I've got these huge pillars in front of me? Van Dijk, Giolini, Bonucci. Mm. How, how do I? separate myself and, and start the lead and, and stand out when I've got these players in the way. It may be, you may be thinking, Taking the baton's not that easy, is it? No, 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 exactly. And he maybe needed to be at a club or a place where they are lacking any sort of leadership figure in defence. And that might have been where he could excel more. Is it worth just spending one moment before we leave this topic on just um, trying to explain what what the difference was that made Memphis Depay the player he is today. Just uh, very quickly, I don't get it, actually. You know, fair enough, he wasn't at the right club before, etc. But something must have happened mentally or physically or psychologically for him. Yeah, well, I, I think we, we talked about the, the, the coach and I do think Bruno Genesio plays a role in it. But also, I think it's quite interesting the way that he ended up at Lyon in the first place. The fact that... Um, his agent um, used like research and algorithm um, looking at how other teams played and the profile of their players to sort of work out. It was almost a scientific. A, 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 it, was, it, it was almost a sort of dating app <laughs> of, of find my perfect club. Mm. And it came up with Leon and they started talking and it really worked out with him. I think that's quite interesting. The idea of trying to match clubs and players as you say a little bit more scientifically rather than thinking oh he's good we'll we'll figure out a way to fit him in I I think that still happens like far too often in football look at someone like say another guy who was fantastic in the Euros Patrick Schick Mm. like Roma signed him and never had a plan on how they were going to build a team around him incorporate around him and so they offered him like a club to play at but no real direction to go in and accordingly they got odds and bits from him whereas clearly the the ability's there for him to totally excel so it was down to the dating app that's how Memphis <laughs> Depay got to Barcelona to be the main man there Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Let's talk about the Bundesliga there. Uh, and there is the return of uh, an old wizard to his haunting grounds. An uh, old young wizard. Yeah, young, young, <laughs> yeah. Wizard doesn't mean your age. Yeah, not every wizard is cat weasel, okay? <laughs> For those of a certain generation. Anyway, um, 
Yeah, and so we're talking about Nagelsmann returning to Leipzig uh, from Bayern Munich, where he is now. H- how is that likely to go down? I think it's really interesting. I, I don't think he's likely to have to run a gauntlet of hate or anything like that um, because it's simply not like that at, at Leipzig. Um, I think there's an understanding from the fans and of course it's a relatively new club that um, people are there for a transient period and that that's how it is, especially with Nagelsmann. He always had his heart set on Bayern at some point. Um, you know, we, we all know that he grew up with... Um, a Bayern Munich bedspread and all that sort of maybe he's still got a Bayern Munich bedspread he could probably get a discount at the club shop now couldn't he um, <laughs> and, and so I think there's there's no sense of you know he stabbed us in the back or like left us in the lurch or any anything like that I think he'll get quite a warm reception and he certainly deserves to because he, he did a great job there I think it's interesting to see him the dynamic between the two coaches is very interesting to me because um, he's coming face to face with um, his successor, of course, in, in in Jesse Marsh, who former guest on Ramble Meets. If, if if you've not heard that, check it out on Football Ramble Presents. He's he's a fascinating, fascinating talker and a really good coach with a bit of Bundesliga um, experience before because he was assistant at Borussia Mönchengladbach before. But I, I think that. It's even though Nagelsmann has got things he wants to change about by an overtime, he's got enough quality around him and he's got enough smarts to not try and change it all overnight and to be able to get results while he changes stuff over a gradual period. I think you look at Leipzig and, and Jesse Marsh is facing quite a difficult task because they have signed quality. And of course, Andre Silva is a massive upgrade in terms of the centre forward position for them. But you look at from last season, they've um, lost Dio Pumacano. They've lost Ibrahim Okanate. So they're, they're, they're two best centre backs. They've now lost Marcel Zabitzer, the, the, the captain who had less than a year left on his contract to Bayern. He could potentially make his debut here, fitness permitting, though we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, to try and to try and like impose your style whilst like reconditioning some quite important parts of the team, I don't, I don't think it's that easy. Yeah, it's funny. I was reading Lothar Matthias, um, what he had said in his column, and he actually said, and I think you know what I'm going to say here, judging by your face. <laughs> <laughs> he said, if, uh, if Leipzig lose to, to Bayern, then that's it. The, the season's over for them, basically. And he said, no one's coming back to, to make up you know, that sort of gap on, on, on Bayern. But it depends what, what you expect out of the season for them. Yeah. Uh, if you expect them to genuinely challenge for the league, then maybe that's a point, and, but... And I don't. And we've kind of touched on this before as well. What is the remit at Leipzig? Uh, is it a disappointment if you don't win the title? Is it a disappointment if you finish maybe 15, 20 points back? I don't know. Do you just keep the wheels in motion there? Keep the, keep the, you know, keep the factory open, keep everything coming off the production line and such. Um, Develop stick, the players, qualify for the Champions exactly, League. Exactly, stick yeah. to the philosophy. Make sure you're playing that that brand of football, mm. which clearly Marsh wants to wants to try and you know wants to continue, but also you know add his own little tweaks to. So, how much pressure is actually there? I, what is a must-win game for for Leipzig? You know, I mean, mm. I mean, obviously European football, I'd say, is essential for them and and for their and how they develop their players. Um, you know, it, it makes it still an attractive proposition for players to come. They'll have European football, and they are happy to be a stepping stone for um, for a player to make his big before he makes his big move. You look at somebody like um, Sasbalai has come in, mm. such a wonderful player, and yes, they have lost a lot of talent, but they've also brought some in. Bring him in is a, a a great example. What he has a good season, even if Leipzig season isn't that impressive, and then he moves on and he goes to whatever big club, and. I think that is where they are and that's what they are and that's when I don't think there's that much pressure there. There's such a difficult team to discuss. In that, the, in that's, that's the thing. I don't think that image changes until the plan changes because the plan is to develop those players and then maybe extract max, mm-hmm. maximum value for them. If you get to a point where you say we're going to supplement um, Andre Silva and Jobbish Lai and Nkunku 
with some experienced players, then people know you're serious about winning stuff. But they've always resisted that. They've always resisted going out and buying someone that's 30. The experienced players who are there, and I think a lot rests on Peter Gulashi, the goalkeeper, and Vili Orban. They've been there since they're quite young and developed into senior players. A bit like, I suppose, a bit like Emil Forsberg, a bit like Zabitzer before he, he went. But they're not buying in experienced players because they feel that that's not the dynamic of the, the club. But I think eventually, if you're going to win stuff, I mean, you can. I think you can very rarely blame stuff that goes wrong on the younger players. It's always you're as good as your senior players, I think. And if you're shying away from investing in senior players at any level, I think that makes it very hard to to put yourself in a position to win the title. Because you remember, they, they, they came up um, in 2017 and they finished second um, in 2017. And, you know, from there... It's like, well, okay, they've got money, they've got a plan. Maybe they could go on and and challenge. But 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 then, because you're looking for a genuine challenger for Bayern, but then you get a little bit further down the road. And when they lose to PSG in the in, in the semi-finals of the Champions League, there is quite a strong sense of this is their ceiling. So for Marsh, it's got to be all about incremental gains, especially as he's changing the team around this season. I think. If they finish top four and have a run in the Champions League, which is not off the table because, you know, he's produced with Salzburg, he's produced some really terrific Champions League performances. Obviously, it helps if you have Erling Haaland. But, um, you know, it, he's, he's not green in that competition. So I, I, I do feel that if they could finish top four and get to the knockout slash quarterfinals of the Champions League, that would still represent a pretty strong season. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And whereas if you'd look at somebody, say, let's say Dortmund, say they maybe fell out the top three, say they were out, in the champ- out of the Champions League at the group stages, then they would really assess where they are. And, and, mm. and as we've seen with Dortmund as well, they've gone through a few coaches the last few years. And yes, of course, they're in a difficult position where the, you know, the player turnover that they have there, um, as we know, is, is quite rapid. Um, but... That is a difference in, in in how they operate, I think. And and if the if, if something bad did happen to Dortmund, then I think they'd really really they'd address it quite sharply. I'd say. Um, whereas I just don't think it would happen in Leipzig, and that's why I think what you said, if they have a decent run, as long as they're just okay, as long as they're fine, and I think everyone's going to be happy. And I think you made a great point as well. Where does most of the pressure come from at football clubs these days? I don't think it's internally. I think it's from the fans, and like you said, the fans aren't. They're not going to. The players aren't going to run a gauntlet of hate or diatribe from they're the st- fans. They're still grateful to have top-flight football in in Leipzig. The reason that Red Bull were able to move in in the first place is because there was a need to be filled. Yeah, that they felt for, coming from the former East Germany. You know, they said there are no huge. I spoke to people there, and they're like, there are no huge car manufacturers in the East or anything like that. The money, the investment has to come from somewhere. So whereas like Western Germany can turn their nose up at that, Leipzig were just happy to have football, which, you know, fall into low division teams and sort of terrorist violence and all that sort of stuff. They they were ready to have a, a need for an upwardly mobile, I, I guess like family football club filled really. But I do just wonder with, with, with Nagelsmann, It'd be interesting to to see his demeanour because obviously he's someone who's fiercely ambitious and that's been clear ever since he was at Hoffenheim. I think when they go out of the Champions League in the way that they do in that semi-final to, to PSG in 2020, I think that's the moment where he thinks, yeah, maybe I'm not going to be here for the long term. You know, I mean, obviously when the buying job comes along, it's difficult to say no to anyway. But I think that's the point where he says... You know what? Maybe this club isn't quite compatible with my ambitions, even in the medium term. It's a very nice way of putting it, and you've got a nice way of putting things uh, today because you, you you did very well. I thought in uh, swerving that old cliche, you don't win anything with kids. I thought you did really well there. Thank you for that. All about the phrasing. Thank you. Uh, the one question that remains for Nagelsmann ahead of this uh, tie this weekend is will he take mercy on Leipzig? Um, 
Well, they've, they've had some pretty close games with Leipzig. So I think Leipzig could pull something out of the bag, particularly at home. They've lost their two away games so far. At Mainz, where they weren't great. Wolfsburg was a game that could have gone either way. And, you know, they're sort of competing in the same sort of places in the in, in, in the league. Um, one of the few things that you could complain about with Nagelsmann is they didn't make themselves quite strong enough at home. Because... I think, especially in that first season, there were too many draws at home, particularly in the in, in the back half of that campaign, that like take the wheels off their their, their title train. Otherwise, they're a genuine title contender. So I think one of the first things Marsh has to do is make them super strong at home, even if it's Bayern. I think that's that's really important. Now, Nagelsmann has got his own development things to to, to work on. There's been a lot of talk before the break. And during the international break about Leroy Zane, who of course is so brilliantly paid at Bayern, but hasn't really quite taken off yet. Uh, I think he needs a dedicated position. He needs coaching. And it's quite interesting because Nagelsmann has talked about that. He's talked about understanding. He's like, well, like basically a load of fans just shouting stuff at him isn't productive for anyone. Let's be kind to each other. It's really interesting language, I think, from a coach. And of course, one of Nagelsmann's favourite, the most famous ever phrases is uh, football, um, coaching is 85% social social competence and 15% tactics, which I think is a brilliant way of putting it. But he's someone who's tactically brilliant, but he understands that the majority of coaching He's just getting a tune out of the players. It's just connecting to them on a personal level. And whether he does that with like his rubbish dancing in social media clips, his incredible selection of coats on the touchline, or just by the old-fashioned way of talking to them, it's, it's something that he's very good at, and that that's that's the ace in his pack. Let's take a look at some of the tweets that have come in during the week for us. And do remember, you can join in uh, by tweeting at Football Ramble or tweeting me at Dotton Adebayo, tweeting Andy at Andy Brassel and tweeting David at David Jacker. That's at David J-A-C-A. This from Nathan. As a Welshman, I'd really love to know how Aaron Ramsey is viewed in Italy. Has he been a success at Juve? And where does he fit into uh, Allegri's plans for this season? It's, it's a really interesting question, actually, Nathan, because um, he's someone who Allegri was really looking forward uh, to working with, but they signed him and then obviously he got the push before Ramsey actually arrived. Now, I suppose people that Juventus around the time and the idea was he was going to play as a sort of number 10 in a very different role um, to Paolo Dybala but in that same sort of position so whether you're fitting them in the same team I don't know I think that's been one of the major issues I think particularly in last last season where they had a team where they'd have uh, Chiesa, Dybala and Ramsey in it You've got three di- very different players all eating the same space in the pitch and it wasn't particularly productive. The coaches that have worked with Ramsey at Juventus have absolutely loved him. Like, Pirlo loved him. But I think it, he's really almost arrived there at sort of the wrong time because they need a little bit more pace and energy in midfield. It's like... Weston McKenney, who on a technical level, I, I think is far inferior to Aaron Ramsey, for example, why he's been so successful there. And I don't think anyone in, in Germany who saw him play for Schalke imagined him being quite as influential as, as he has for Juventus McKenney. But he's the right player at the right time. And he's been lifted up by the players around him, I think, as, as well. So Ramsey's in a, a, a difficult situation because this his contract, David, if this was the NBA would be classified as untradeable. Yeah. Absolutely. And he's he's a good player, but I don't know if he's exactly what Juventus need at the moment, even though he's had his good moments. 
He's never played 90 minutes in two consecutive games in any competition since arriving at Juve. Wow. Wow. And when you consider that there's, I think it's Ronaldo, the Bala, and maybe one more who appeared more than him, as you've rightly pointed out there, it's quite damning, I think. Um, no one is ever, ever going to doubt what Ramsey is capable of as a footballer. He's in, I think he's an incredible footballer. I think he's absolutely remarkable. Um, supremely gifted, perfectly made for Serie A, perfectly made generally for the game on the continent, as well as the Premier League. I think we saw what he's done with Wales as well. Um, as influential as Gareth Bale on his day, I think the way that he operates, you know, such a wonderful rare I think a box-to-box talent that is also incredibly gifted technically doesn't just rely on physicality which a lot of box-to-box players do and he is brilliant in that sense but it's just always been about fitness consecutive games with him um you know we Ramsey's somebody you want to see play every single game um, and unfortunately we don't get to see that and I don't know if we will ever get to see that again which is such a shame um because he is brilliant to watch this is from JD who says for David, how do you think Sevilla will use El Naziri and uh, Mir? Uh, what do you think of the signing of Mir, given Atleti's were favourites to get him? And can Sevilla mount a serious title challenge this season? Yes, Sevilla can absolutely mount a serious title uh, challenge this season. And I think for the reason that they have got so many different parts in different roles I think the fact that they have got En Naziri um, to play when they are playing on the break when they are playing when they need somebody to operate and add a lot of width to the team then they have En Naziri then if they also want to go route one or if they want to put in a lot of crosses because they bought they play a really really nice wing back system um, Julian Lopetegui really really likes his fullbacks to to get forward. Um, they've bought plenty as well uh, over the summer, um, and they're going to put a lot of crosses in. Rafa Mir will really like that. He's an excellent header of the ball. He's excellent aerial presence. I think physical presence for them. He's a, I think he's a better. He's, he's a great replacement for Luke De Jong. Um, in 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 my opinion, uh, a lot more mobile adds a lot more um, as a second striker as well. And I think it's shaping up to be a. I think the buys that Sevilla have made say to me we're serious about you know going far in in various competitions this isn't just a squad made up to chase the the champions league um the final champions league place pack the usuals what they're part of i think they do want to mount a title challenge i think they see a gap there as well with barcelona and real madrid and uh, having their issues and only atleti kind of having any consistency i can't believe we got through that without talking about eric lamella well done mm. And this final one from United Iconic is Southgate just Ulla, as in Ulla Gunnar Solskjaer, is Southgate just Ulla with a waistcoat, a lack of substitutions and an insistence on playing a double pivot will only get you so far and no more. He's a good man manager, tactically limited, relies on individual brilliance. Is he, is he, uh, Ollie, without the waistcoat or with a waistcoat? Southgate doesn't even have the waistcoat anymore. Uh, it's it's old news, is that? Yeah, no, I didn't realize. He's he's, he's, he's moved on. I believe. He's moved on. What about the beard? Has he still got that? Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm just checking. So he hasn't moved on that far. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't moved on that far. Well, of, of course, uh, Solskjaer's going to have a, a whole new challenge from this weekend as he uh, starts managing Cristiano Ronaldo, which um, be interesting. Hmm, very interesting. Well, as for Southgate. Uh, I, th- I think last night summed him up really well. Um, you know, he said, uh, you know, he didn't make any substitutions at all. And he said they were in total control. I mean... Uh, it, this against Poland? Yeah, yeah. I think it's such a, a cop-out phrase. And, and again, I think I think substitutions and, and tactical changes and in-game management are things that are, he views as problems as opposed to solutions. I think he thinks it's a bit of a headache really looking at it. And... Yeah, I think he's incredibly limited, and it's a shame because I think England have got one of the best, you know, talent depths that they've had ever. I think you look at the level of the players that they have; it's it's quite remarkable. Um, and unfortunately, I think you know he's he's probably going to get a new contract and he's going to stay a while with England. But I don't think England are ever ever going to um, go far with him in terms of you know just getting over that hill, you know, winning that competition, beating the big teams. I don't think they're going to do it. Um, 
South guy, yeah, yeah. Southgate is the he's the he's the guy at work who's who's a nice guy who you'll have your lunch with, who you'll have a little chat with <laughs> about the TV last night. But would you go for drinks with him after work? Probably not. I, I was thinking in a different. My mind was coming at it from a different direction from David's. Uh, but I, I, I was thinking that uh, for me, Southgate is has uh, got an impossible uh, task ahead of him, uh, and well, there's so much pressure that whatever he says and whatever he does, he's always going to look as if... Well, it's easy. It's interesting how quickly the shine was taken off the Euro's success by this result against Poland, you know? It's, it just... It, well, you forget about the Euros. Semi-final, yeah. final, doesn't I, matter. I think it would be a bit short-sighted to do that. And, you know, it could be in a worse position. It could be Didier Deschamps if we're talking about pressure. Game of the week from each of you, if you don't mind. Uh, Andy, do you want to go first? No, uh, David, Andy, which one? Andy, David? Andy? <laughs> right, I'm I'm going to uh, take it to Portugal. Um, I'm going to go for Sporting versus Porto on Saturday night at 8.30. Um, sporting, well-deserved champions last, last season. And um, I think you look at the quality of coaches at the top of the Portuguese Liga at the moment. It's amazing. Um, Jorge Jesus isn't even in the top two. It's, it's these two. It's uh, Ruben Amarim, uh, Sergio Conceição. Um, it will be interesting to see if Porto can get the result, which would mean the title race will be properly, properly on. David? Yes, uh, mine is Saturday night in La Liga. Athletic Bilbao versus Real Mallorca. Um, Mallorca have won two of their three games uh, since coming up, being promoted. Um they're looking a really nice little side, and this, it's always a good. They're test. Brentford, are they? Yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to, to say it. I'm sure Brentford residents um, will say something about it not being quite like Palmer in terms of weather or what have you. But anyway, um, yes, they they look very, very good, uh, Mallorca. And going to San Mamés, um, you know, full capacity or not, is always a, an interesting test. You'll get physical uh, battering as well. And uh, Athletic Bilbao were unbeaten themselves, but there's a few more question marks around them they're still not quite there they still still don't look the full package so it'll be interesting to see if Mallorca and they've got some very talented young players as well um, can see if they can rattle them This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network 